0: Welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of christiangospelchurch.org. And together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, I'm not going to say that this is the most interesting episode that we've ever done, but no, I'm just going to come out and say it. This is going to be the most interesting episode (laughs) that we've ever done.
1: (laughs) Lots of people have different interests, and I can certainly see that there's a large segment of people who will find this episode the most interesting, because I know some of the things we're going to talk about here are uh, a little bit cutting-edge knowledge, things that have just really, some of it's just recently come out, um, and uh, it, it's some of it is pretty earth-shattering stuff. Um, I, 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 I guess we could say... You know, we, there is definitive, undisputable evidence connecting William Branham to Colonia Dignidad, right? And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in this episode. I'm not sure how, how deep we're going to go into all of that stuff, but we're, we're at least going to uh, talk about the things that happened in the 50s.
0: For me, just even skimming the surface of this is going to be so interesting because, as you know, I've been working with historians down in Chile, and it's just mind-boggling to think that the religion that I grew up in was in any way connected to this and I'll be honest the first time that I came across this connection years ago um, it was just one little newspaper article had one little mention of William Branham in Colonia Dignidad and if I remember correctly the article stated something to the effect that the the congregants who were basically the this like an Amish-type community in Chile, were um, dressed in a very Pentecostal-style wardrobe, and they were singing praises to Jesus on the surface of the grounds while they were torturing people underneath. And there's one little mention of William Branham's name. It said that they were the followers of William Branham. And at the time, before, you know, I've researched several similar communities maybe not to this extent but in various ways they're very very similar to this and <clears throat> starting to understand how these things grow the bible said by the fruits of the tree you'll know the you know what the tree is well we start to see all of these weird weird things springing up from the core of the message cult and while I can't say you know William Branham would have even condoned everything that went on, it appears he had a, a significant part in its establishment, and we're we're going to skim the surface of that today, and we'll probably take some deep dives in the future.
1: Yeah, you're you're, you're exactly right, John, and <clears throat> I I look forward to at some point getting into uh, everything we know, um, but kind of like you mentioned, and I'm I'm very careful. I am. You know me, John. I, I shy away a little bit from the conspiratorial side of things. So I, <laughs> I've, I have always stuck just very solidly with what's very well documented again. There – the early on, uh, you know, we're talking several years ago, um, there were quite a number of reports um, about these people from Colonia being followers of William Branham. Um, and I knew this while I was still in the message actually, John. And I – the last time I was in Europe – I was not too terribly far away from the church where a lot of the Colonia escapees landed. And I was talking with some of the other uh, message believers in Europe that I knew, and some of them found it unbelievable. It had actually been in national news over in Europe that the Colonia escapers, escapees, had come into, uh, had came out and were living in message churches in Europe. And uh, some of them decided to travel to, this church, to actually physically check out if this is where the Colonia escapees were going. And sure enough, John, uh, you know, they visibly confirmed that the escapees from Colonia were talking, were talking the people involved in the murder, the mass murder, torture, weapons, arm, all of this terrible stuff, escaped to a church in Germany. And, um, from there, I knew dead certain that there was message connections to Colonia. Um, and, since I have left, uh, more and more information has come to light, and I look forward to talking about some of that. Um, yeah, but today we're, we're, we're kind of still, we're really uh, in the framework of looking at William Branham's overseas tours, uh, and we're on tour number four, which is his tour to Germany and Switzerland uh, in 1955. Um, and, so this is the tour where William Branham uh, has his first documented connection to these people. And so we're, we're definitely going to focus on that as a large part of this episode. But um, as he comes to, to Europe in 1955, just kind of to lay some background to what else is going on around him and in his mis- ministry. So as you come into 1955, this is 1955 and 1956 are the peak of William Branham's popularity. Uh in other words, we could say it's all downhill from here <laughs> if it hasn't been downhill already i mean it it's it's from here very bad things start happening and lots of them um and it it just it it well fits so that this is the year that for sure he's come into contact with paul Schaefer um and the nazis so we we know for sure william Branham started working with the Nazis in nineteen fifty five um as we'll talk about in this episode. Now, besides this, he actually, so he he goes, I believe it's September, October, he goes to um, Europe for this tour. Well, June, so about two or three months before he has went to Germany, June of 1955, May and June is when he actually started working with Jim Jones. So, um, just want to throw that in there. William Branham's relationship with Voice of Healing has started breaking down in 1955 pretty badly. Um, and as you come through this year, um, he he's starting to bring in and recenter his ministry to rely more heavily on Joseph Mattson-Bose. Jim Jones is coming into his inner circle in these years, um, and his ministry's taken a very big turn as you come into 1955 and as the year unfolds.
0: Right, and I think it's actually safe to say that William Browning's ministry imploded. And if you line everything up uh, according to the timeline, it looks very much as though Roy Davis, who has also entered the scene, it looks as though his letter has. Basically, started pulling the main thread that bound everything together. I I won't say that it completely unraveled everything, but it created this fray that's going to continue to grow until William William Branham's ministry just implodes. Roy Davis sent a letter to Voice of Healing, which we've previously shared, that um, basically undermined William Branham's entire life story that he had told that was... Charles, you know this. It was basically the, the basis for his revival movement. Every single revival that he went to, he either told an entire sermon of the life story or he told bits and pieces. And this is what held all the crowds together. And uh, you're holding up a, an article here that is key to understanding this.
1: Right. As, as William Branham, you know, is moving more and more into popularity, um, Roy Davis gets out of jail, Roy Davis starts, you know, causing problems, and Roy Davis sends this letter to, to Voice of Healing, and to Gordon Lindsay, and in this article, uh, Roy Davis is flat out contradicting all of the key details of William Branham's official life story in this book, um, and in this article that he sends, he contradicts it all, and, he is beginning. It's very clear that whatever that this article is, some sort of uh, this letter is some sort of a antagonizing, threatening thing. Honestly, uh, towards William Branham. I mean, th- this is not a friendly wrote letter. Uh, if if you actually, you know, in, in the message, we, you don't pick any of this stuff up, right? You you don't no. pick it up because <laughs> William Branham's our beloved prophet, and everyone loved our beloved prophet, you know and all. But no, this. This letter from Roy Davis is a is clearly a threatening letter towards William Branham. And, um, uh, you know, and we we can only speculate as to why Roy Davis felt the need to send this threatening letter to William Branham. Um, But as it happens, we, we can just safely say as this comes out. The full nature of William Branham's history and past starts to become uh, aware and open to some of the leaders and other people around William Branham. And as time goes on, that knowledge of who William Branham really was, what his past really was, and the fact that his whole life story is one great big scam, right, um, that, that begins to take a toll. And those things are starting to hit the fan and reach the boiling point in 1955. Okay? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and Gordon Lindsay, they step away. And what you find as you come into 1955, William Branham is relying less and less on Voice of Healing and less and less on Gordon Lindsay. In fact, if you want to find the min- the main write-ups on William Branham's um, activities on this European tour, you actually have to go to Herald of Faith because most of what happens on this tour is not documented in Voice of Healing. Right. Uh, so this is, this is actually the documentation of this tour from Herald of Faith. Um, and Joseph Matson Bose is, is really becoming a key figure for William Branham in this year. So he's the one that's taken the effort to publicize this tour, and it's an interesting thing. And I, I think one other thing worth noting here, John, is so in addition to this spreading, really kind of transitioning from Voice of Healing over to the Herald of Faith organization at this point. This is also a very clear sign and indicator that this tour is very heavily Latter Rain. This is an overwhelmingly Latter Rain influenced tour, uh, compared to his other uh, first three overseas tour. This is a pure Latter Rain tour. What's happening here? And besides that, I think it's also important to note it, note about who is financing. Um, and managing this tour for William Branham too. So William Branham had been relying very heavily on the Voice of Healing uh, and the Full Gospel Businessmen to finance a lot of his campaigns. And what happens is they, they voice the Voice of Healing, or rather the Full Gospel Businessmen also go ahead and they do finance this campaign, <clears throat> but the one who finances it is... It's a little unusual. It's not the Dima-Shakarian-Kardashian family side of things that finance this campaign. Uh, the one who finances this campaign is a man named Baron von Blomberg, who is indeed one of the uh, full gospel businessmen. He's a very wealthy man. Um, he, he's a baron um, in the sense that he was adopted by a count and a countess in Germany so that their title would not uh, be extinguished when they passed away. So he got their title. He he actually lives in the New England area, Boston, New Hampshire, that area. And he is um, not even really a German, but he got their title. And then he also, he marries a really wealthy uh, socialite and inherits her fortune. So both his title and his fortune are, I don't want to say ill-gotten, but Gotten by abnormal means, I'll put it that way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's something unusual about this man, is what I'm saying here.
0: Exactly. So, the timeline leading up to this event. 1950, you have Roy Davis sends his letter, out to William Branham. 1953 is whenever you start to see the fruits of that letter. You start to see William Branham start losing key figures in his campaign meetings Ern Baxter starts to pull away F.F. Uh, Bosworth um, doesn't pull away fully but he's he's starting not to be so involved and William Branham basically is out on his own he actually mentions this um, in one of the recordings he says I uh, used to have these figures with me now it's just me and Billy Paul he says something to that effect 1953 is also the year one of the most famous um Meetings of William Branham's ministry is the Chicago campaign of 1953, which is held at Joseph Mattson Bose's church. Fast forward to about 1955, Bose connects William Branham to Jim Jones, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, Jim Jones becomes basically a key figure in the inner circle, Starts sponsoring meetings for William Branham in other States, not even in Indiana. And, um, Joseph Matson Bose starts connecting William Branham to these other key figures. The one that you mentioned is Ver- Baron von Blomberg, and these key figures start introducing William Branham to new groups of people, and some of these new groups of people are going to basically define what the message would become in the, in its latter years.
1: Yes, John, that that's well well said, and I I want to talk just slightly more about Baron von Blomberg. That way. Um... We just communicate some of the unique, interesting things about this man. So one thing about this man, Varen von Bomberg, in addition to being a full gospel businessman, he is also a key figure in this international society that is seeking to help German refugees from World War II resettle in other countries. Okay, that that is basically this man's passion and life work is to help World War II German refugees escape Germany and resettle elsewhere in the world, and you know, John, we've we've chatted about this several times, uh, and this is anecdotal, but there are a whole lot of German immigrants. People came out of Germany who were very prominent and well connected in the early days of of this movement and the message. Um, lots of them in the United States, in Canada especially um, and you know there there's definitely something going on alongside with this message movement in Germany that is is aiding and helping um, German people leave germany after the war and come resettle in north america that's definitely something that that's going on here um and it it it, i almost wonder john and this is again this is a speculation did did this have anything to do with aiding colonia in some way you know i i could totally see this having something to do with helping those people from colonia get to chile Because that is exactly the kind of thing that Veren von Blomberg was doing. That was a key part of what he was doing, was helping German people resettle elsewhere.
0: Right, and I think I'll say it like this. I also avoid the conspiracy theories because there's so many different directions that a conspiracy theory can take you, and not all of those paths turn out to be true. So you have to be very careful of speculating. But at this point, what we do know is that we have enough information to connect Colonia Dignidad to the main core of the message as a message cult compound in Chile. That's without question. We also see that there is a large influx of the German immigrants that come to the United States, Canada, other countries, Um, sponsored by the message. That is without question. My family worked with some of the German people in other countries. Um, I also know, and I can't talk too much about this, but I also know that there's a large amount of funding that comes through some of these German immigrants into the message. So that is without question. We can't deny this
1: my my father's family actually my father's family was introduced to the message through german immigrants into canada actually so um it's actually from german immigrants that my family came into the message to begin with back 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 in the day
0: right so, while we can't say that William Branham was sponsoring the Nazis coming into other countries, we can definitely say that they were coming into other countries through the message. That's without question. The problem lies within this fact. Many of these Nazis that we're examining, not many, but a few key figures that we're examining were high-ranking Nazi SS, uh, we're talking about some of the very bad guys were coming into other countries through the message, and that's where it just takes a very critical turn.
1: Yeah, again, I, I think that's well put. So, Veron von Blomberg, this This is the man, this is his life mission. He's the man sponsoring this trip to Germany. Um, he's the man financing it, and he's the one organizing the whole thing for William Branham. So. That, that's very interesting. Um, the, the other thing about Baron von Blomberg, which is, again, another, I think, fairly well-known fact in the message, is that Baron von Blomberg was um, an open homosexual. Yes. Uh, he, was, he was one of many people we know who were in close William Branham circle that were homosexual. Um, and he is, he's, again, he's a well-known homosexual. So that is the man that William Branham has chose to work with um, <laughs> to, to, do these, to do this tour. I, I think there's another really interesting thing, John, that we've talked about as well that I think worth pointing out here. So in 1954, um, just, just shortly before um, all of this happened, uh, William Branham actually had a, had a meeting with Nixon which is another interesting
0: thing (laughs) crazy interesting
1: and it this is again i try myself not to get too much into the conspiratorial side of stuff and i try to look at this just from the lens of what makes sense to me so nixon comes and gives a speech to the full gospel businessman right and it's a normal thing for for Politicians to give speeches to religious conferences. That's not an unusual thing uh, in and of itself. But Nixon comes. Um, he's on the front page of Voice of Healing when all of this happens. Um, and what's interesting, though, is they they record Nixon's whole speech to them uh, in the Voice of Healing magazine. So you can read everything Nixon said to them. And, you know, you, you would expect that Nixon would... Um, that Nixon would say... You know, talk about something religious, right? Talk about Jesus. <laughs> talk about – you would expect there to be some sort of a religious angle to what Nixon has to say to the leading Pentecostal ministers of the world at this meeting. But that's thats not what Nixon's speech is about. It's I, So it's a little unusual. Nixon's speech is basically a national security speech. Yeah. He comes, he's telling them communism is dangerous, communism can destroy us all, they've got nuclear bombs, they can kill us all, anytime they want, um, and he is more or less enlisting them. He is appealing to them, we need you, preachers, to go out on a tour and have a battle for the hearts, the minds, and the souls of these people who are being impacted by communism, we need you. He's enlisting them in the fight against communism. Yeah. Is what Nixon is doing at this speech.
0: And specifically, he says we're enlisting you to plant the seed in the people's minds that communism is evil. We need. We're fighting a war of the minds. He says something to this effect. Yeah, let
1: me. Why don't, let me read a couple paragraphs of his speech. How about that? Yeah. He, he says here, uh, so this is paragraph three and four of his speech, he says, I don't need to tell you today that the problems that do confront America, do confront free peoples, are as great as we have ever had in our history. We look across our world into Indochina. We look into the situation in Guatemala. We see revolution in some areas, subversion in other areas, even in the United States, as my good friend Clyde Doyle can tell you. He's rendered a fine service in many of our American activities, of which he's a member, But in all of these areas of the world, you see the godless, totalitarian doctrine of communism pushing ahead and attempting to make gains against the free nations and eventually threatening our nation as well. Now, in the National Security Council, we consider, of course, the military policy, the economic policy, the political policies that the United States can adopt to meet this threat. But all of us know that the great battle in which we are engaged today The greatest battle ever fought is the battle of the mind, (laughs) one in which we will not only militarily, economically, and politically in our character, and that is, but that in the final analysis is the battle of the minds and the hearts and the souls of men. And he goes on to literally appeal to them to go out and fight for the hearts and souls and minds of all men. And I, there's something interesting that was said there, John. Why don't
0: you relate? <laughs> I'm, you can see I'm bubbling over it. The, <laughs> the greatest battle ever fought. When I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh. William Branham, he, there was the sermon that he preached, even with the title, but he also used it as a theme throughout <laughs> throughout the whole latter part of his ministry, the, the greatest battle ever fought. And he got, battle this, of the mind. <laughs> he got this directly from Nixon. So avoiding conspiracy theory altogether, let's— let's take a regroup and let's talk about what we do know that is factual. And some of this, I want to talk about what's going on just slightly outside of this in America because this history is very relevant. So first off, we've been talking about Baron von Blomberg who is not just homosexual but is openly homosexual openly homosexual he is a man who professes to be a homosexual who has embedded himself in American Pentecostalism in American Pentecostalism homosexuality is an almost unforgivable sin you cannot be homosexual and be a Pentecostal and go to heaven. That is every Pentecostal group I've ever examined, the message included, you cannot do this. This is forbidden. Once you become homosexual, you are branded. You are. It's, it is a religion of homophobia. I'll put it like that. So here's this man who's embedded himself among all of the Pentecostals and not just as a follower, but as a leader of the group who's openly homosexual. So this tells me clearly that this man has not religious interest at all. He is openly homosexual. He is organizing William Branham's tours, and we're talking about some of William Branham's most famous tours. We're talking about key meetings in Germany and Switzerland, all these other countries, and in the United States. So here is the homosexual man who has the strings that he's leading the William Branham puppet around the world on as an open homosexual who is not religious. That's a fact to put on the side. Number two, This Nixon meeting was held at the uh, Voice, it was not the Voice of Healing, but the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association Breakfast. The first time I showed this photograph to a, I'm working with a very famous cult expert, he looked at it and immediately he said, oh, that's the family. And I said, what's that? The family is this religious cult that established itself in Washington, and they hold what's called the National Prayer Breakfast. And it is a mind control cult wherein its members are deeply embedded with United States politicians, uh, government officials, and more. And they have the ability to sway certain politics because they're so deeply connected. Uh, to the extent that if just do a search, watch the family on Netflix or do a search for National Prayer Breakfast, you'll find all of this weird stuff that is happening to the sidelines of this. The National Prayer Breakfast is, I believe, in February and all of the events correspond to the February event. This Full um, Gospel Businessmen's Association Breakfast, I believe it was September, it's in the fall some month, it is disconnected superficially. So I've actually had to go revise my, uh, web, my research pages because openly the two are separate entities. Now I tend to agree with the cult expert behind the scenes. They appear to be one and the same thing. They're just two branches of the same thing. And they established themselves in Washington, DC, the very next year after the national prayer breakfast. So this, this whole thing is kind of, it's it's one cog in this big gear of cogs that's controlling Washington. I'll put it like that. <clears throat> we also have even on my website we've got research where they're entertaining President Reagan. I mean we're talking we're talking directly to the president these men are having influence. And then, like you said, this the speech was in no way, shape, or form religious. <clears throat> he's actually, Nixon is talking about national security, and he's even giving details that border on, <laughs> I, I read this, and I was like, oh my gosh, can he say that? He's the vice president, but... <clears throat> These men sitting here do not have national security clearance, but he's talking about investigations and ongoing investigations into communism, things that he should not be saying. And so combine all of this with one more key fact. After this meeting in the United States, there was this strong religious presence of fear against communism. So what he did to these ministers as giving them charge to sway the minds of the American people. Now I'm not saying communism is good. Don't, don't get this wrong, but it is over amplified after Nixon's speech. And it's over amplified through right wing Christian conservative preachers, which was the target of this meeting.
1: Right. You know, like you said, communism is not a good thing. I mean, all you got to do is read the history of it. it. It is a very terrible ideology that's killed millions of people, right? Um, and of course, we would expect our government to take efforts to defend the United States against communism, right? So, I mean, all of this is, that's reasonable. What is unusual is enlisting the religions of America into that battle. I find that unusual. And what, what you do see, I just kind of put myself There, knowing what I know about William Branham, knowing what we know about our movement, John, that we've come from, this is stroking William Branham's ego like like nobody's business. He is being directly appealed on by the United States government to come and help them fight communism, right? Boy, that that just is right up his alley. To be quite honest, this is right up the alley of some of these men. It makes them feel big. It makes them feel important. It makes them feel like insiders. It makes them feel connected to the halls of power. This appeals to these men. And what happens immediately after this this speech, and I, I mean immediate. The next episode, the next edition of Voice of Healing, they put nuclear bomb blasts on the cover <laughs> of Voice of Healing, right? Okay, right. and and you can go through. They they start printing every every edition now has an article about what nuclear bombs are going to do to destroy the world. William Branham. Um, this is when all of the doomsday prophecies really start to come in real heavy. Uh, this is when he starts prophesying. America's going to be destroyed by nuclear weapons, um, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff. This So so right as he's coming into contact with Jim Jones, right as he's going overseas and meeting Paul Schaefer, he has, William Branham, has come to the height of the Western world is going to be destroyed by nuclear weapons. And, and this this becomes a, a big feature in his ministry. And I can't help but think that that has a, a whole lot of it has to do with what the things that Nixon said – to William Branham and these other preachers in these meetings. And I I think William Branham believed him as much as anything else. I think William Branham believed they believe the end of the world is coming. They believe all of this stuff. And and now they've heard from Nixon himself you know, that communism is going to destroy the world. And so William (laughs) Branham actually starts transitioning his prophecies over from the Catholic Church being what's going to destroy the world to communism what's going to destroy the world in this time frame too.
0: Yeah. And again, taking the conspiracy theory, taking all of the fiction, we're, we're basically we're separating all the fact from the fiction in the conspiracy theory here. So <clears throat> this is the point in time. If you study the the William Branham's transcripts chronologically This is the point in time in which we can clearly say he becomes a doomsday prophet. After, before this, even the night, he mentions the 1933 prophecies, I think only one time before this. Um, He mentions key details from it, but it's not really, it hasn't really formed as his official quote unquote seven 1933 prophecies. But in every mention prior to this, he says that there will be no peace it's not that there is impending doom it's that there will be no peace and even when he mentions what what we think of as the 1933 prophecies they're not even really the same he's talking about he was preaching a sermon and he says if um Mussolini goes down to Ethiopia. There'll be no peace, and he says there'll be a rise of three isms. He calls it communism, Nazism, fascism, and he says one of them will rule the world. He doesn't even appear to know which one it is until Nixon's speech. After Nixon's speech, when you start looking at what William Branham, um, you know, defines himself as this doomsday prophet, it is communism that's going to destroy the world right after Nixon's speech, and then for a few years until (laughs) I'm still piecing this timeline together, but it looks like after Nixon is no longer the vice president, William Branham shifts back to now it's Romanism we have to fear instead of communism. So while Nixon's established in office as the vice president, this communism theme will reign in William Branham's doomsday prophet ministry.
1: So there, we can say definitively that this influenced William Branham's sermons, his beliefs, and the way things were preached in this period of time, right? And, and whether that was a, you know, a purposeful thing or it was just a, a, an unexpected byproduct of his, of his time with Nixon, it, it's hard to say, I, I think. But one thing we can say for sure, this is not the last time William Branham meets Nixon. William Branham actually has multiple other meetings with Nixon uh, from from everything that we understand. Um, And there is there is some connection, you know, between high ranking Republican leaders and William Branham. I mean, that is. That's reality.
0: Right. And again, people are thinking, no, that's conspiracy theory. We don't know what happened behind the scenes. So William Branham was at a breakfast. That's just a breakfast. There were a lot of men at the breakfast. William Branham even admits on recording that after this breakfast, there were several U.S. politicians who visited him at his home in Jeffersonville. He mentions this on recording. So this is much deeper than simply William Branham went to a breakfast and heard Nixon. Right.
1: That, that, I think that, that's fair for us to say. Now, as, as this is in the background, before he goes to this tour to Germany, to Europe, um, this is what's swirling around in the background. Okay, so he's, he's, he's going into doomsday mode. He is focusing very heavily on nuclear bombs destroying the world in his sermons. He is um, all about the threat of communism. And he is having a falling out with Voice of Healing. He's going through a radical shift in his ministry. And he's come into contact with Jim Jones. <laughs> and now he's going over to Europe um, on his most radical of all tours, tour number four. And on tour number four, this is William Branham's last overseas campaign tour, um, John. And William Branham does not make another overseas healing campaign, any sort of overseas campaign tour after this. This is it. This is number four. And what what's important here is I, I do want to point out there's only four. There's only four that he went overseas. And the reason I say that is because if you listen to William Branham, William Branham claimed to go around the world at all kinds of times, far more than yeah. four times. Um, the way he would often say it is um, – Here's one quote from nineteen sixty three uh he says being a missionary, I traveled over i've traveled around the world and well and I'm well acquainted with it. I've been seven times around the world right and that's <laughs> that's the phrase he tended to use i've been seven times around the world
0: it's got to um, be seven he, man
1: <laughs> yeah he he used that one a lot. I have been around the world seven times. So here's the thing. As far as we know, William Branham never actually went around the world once, ever. Um, he never circumnavigated the world, ever. Uh, no. Because we, we actually have his itineraries where he went and came back, and he never went around the world once, not even once. Uh, but he did make four international overseas tours. Four. 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 Not seven. And so it it's important to acknowledge that William Branham, again— through our last episodes talking about his international overseas tours, he exaggerated these things to the max. I mean, a large percentage of what he's told us about these tours is absolute fake fables that he made up. Um, And, and this is also a fable. He never went around the world seven times. He never, he's inventing tours that never happened in his head. William Branham made four international tours. And this one to Germany and Switzerland is the final one.
0: A point I would like to, mention again we're talking about this is a tour to Germany we've we've kind of <laughs> lost track of the flow of this podcast we were talking about the german tour but <laughs> it's it's just so crazy interesting i can't help it we're talking about a tour through germany by the baron von blomberg who is an open homosexual which as a result means that he was not in any way religiously connected to these men not we can clearly say that An interesting point that I missed in the previous episodes, whenever William Branham went on tour to some of the other countries, we actually have a photograph of this. William Branham takes his brother, Howard, on some of the previous tours, who also I can clearly say he was not religiously connected to this. Howard was not a message believer. Howard, Howard ran a bar back home in Jeffersonville.
1: I don't think Howard was a Christian.
0: <laughs> I, I've talked to his family. There's, there's some question. He was, we'll say it like this. He wasn't a Christian in the way that the message thinks of him as a Christian. Now, whether he's non-Christian going to hell, I'm not going to make that call, but he was definitely not a message variety Christian.
1: Yeah, and by Christian, I mean, I don't know that he was a a self-professed Christian. I've never heard any professions of Christianity from there. I guess I'll put it like that.
0: I haven't either. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that because— we're talking about, and we've talked about it previously in the podcast, we're talking about tours where very strange things happen. We're talking about tours where they're going to the sex capital of the world. This, if you take a step back and you examine all of these quote-unquote tours, they look a lot more like vacation trips. And if not for this Germany trip, I would say yeah, they were just going to have fun. And while they're having fun, let's take a few photographs and pretend to be evangelists. This one, however, this is not a fun trip in Germany. This, what it looks like here, William Branham says after he goes here, he talks about all of the different offices that he's established around the world. And he talks about setting up his office in Germany. Now, from a business standpoint, That made me stop to question a lot of this, Charles, because think of this. Even today, when I was growing up, Voice of God Recordings, the cult headquarters, has these printing presses. And they print and distribute these sermons of William Branham all around the world. I've seen the presses, these big Heidelberg presses. They distribute the audio cassette tapes, and now they're mp3s around the world. They had not, as of 2013, when I left the cult, a vast majority of the sermons were not even translated in Spanish. I, I've had other, other <laughs> ex-message members now, but at the time there were, there were current message members contact me and say, William Branham never said the things that you said. And I showed them... Voice of God Recordings, uh, I think it's table.branham.org, where they can go search in English and use Google Translate, and they're like, oh my gosh, we don't have that sermon. Or one of them was telling me that they don't have the paragraphs, and some of the translations of the paragraphs aren't translated in the way that they should be. I'll put it like that. So you've got this business operation here in Jeffersonville, Indiana, that distributes these things. Now, think of it from a business standpoint. It cost me a lot of money to print this stuff here, to box it up, to ship it overseas, to have an office in another country, to unbox it, distribute it, and then you know propagate it through the different countries. Why not print it there? If I'm shipping to Germany, why not print it there? Audio recordings. It's very quick and easy to set up just a simple tape recorder. You don't need an office for this. You could have two or three men who are just in their homes running these recordings of copies of these sermons. My grandfather had this machine that he could put in a cassette tape of William Branham. And in less than, I think it was less than a minute and a half, it would copy a 90-minute cassette tape of William Branham. I mean, you could run these things. Within a week, you'd copy the entire collection. And that's just a few hours a day, right? So it doesn't make sense to have an office in Germany. But after this, William Branham sets up his office in Germany. And here is where we start to introduce a very interesting set of characters into the scene.
1: That's right, John. Um, And exactly when this stuff was set up is not quite clear to me. I know, I believe that they actually had this set up. Before 1955. Oh, they did. We can find references in Voice of Healing magazine to the German edition of their magazine um, and to um, German translated copies of William Branham's works. There was a man named Arnold Goats, I believe is his name. Arnold Goetz. I don't have his uh, stuff right in front of me, but he seems to be the one in charge of the of translating some of this material in 1954 and 1955. But there's other figures that are associated with this that William Branham meets in person when he comes to Germany. And one, one important set of figures that he meets is, of course, this man right here pictured in this photograph. This man is a man named Ewald Frank. Ewald Frank. And <clears throat> Ewald Frank serves as William Branham's translator uh, while he is in Germany. Uh, so he's the man on the stage or the man walking around with William Branham translating between him and the German speaking people. So he is, is right there beside William Branham through, through this tour in Germany. And Ewald Frank is um, still living today. uh, And he is actually today the leader of, I would say, John, this is, this may not be correct, but to the best of my knowledge, I I believe he's the leader of the second largest sect of message followers in the world. Yeah, I think Um, so. He, he, he has large international following across Africa, Europe, South America. He even has a few associated churches in the United States with him. But he is, I would say, after the main sect, he is the second largest. He represents the second largest sect of William Branham's followers. Um, and he, he is still around today. He is very influential. He is very powerful. He is very well known. Um, and so he's William Branham's... Um, Translator there in Europe, and and I want to say he lived in Canada. Actually, I believe he lived in Canada. Uh, he may have even been living in Canada at this time, and traveled over with William Branham to do the translating for him. But he he definitely lived in Canada for a period of time in the 1950s. Um, my family actually met him in Canada and have been to his meetings. Um, I there's there's some different stories I could tell about that stuff, but. He is very well-known, he is very well-traveled, and there's probably very few people in the message who have not heard of Ewald Frank. And he's probably been met even by a very large percentage of message believers worldwide.
0: Yeah, today we think of him as disconnected, even, you know, the younger generation of the message— a lot of them may not even know the name Ewald Frank, but the older de- generation certainly knows him, and many of them have seen Ewald Frank.
1: The pastor of our church has been to Ewald Frank's home, um, had dinner with him. They, there's all kinds of connections between Ewald Frank and all the other sects of the message.
0: Right, so he's in Canada during a time whenever there are German immigrants escaping not what was Nazi Germany, but they're escaping into other countries, and we don't know. Some of them may be good, some of them may be bad. The leaders in the cult may not know the ones which are good and the ones which are bad. We, we don't know that everybody had knowledge, but we can say with some certainty that Ewald Frank did have at least some knowledge because of some of the characters we're soon to introduce. But it's key to understand that, tying this back to Colonia Dignidad, The men that Ewald Frank worked with in William Branham's inner circle in Germany are some of the same men who set up the Colonia Dignidad compound who Ewald Frank testified that he had never seen before any of this, you know, this Colonia Dignidad event happened. But they were there with him. They were there with Ewald Frank and William Branham.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean— Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Ewald Frank is working with Nazis at this point in time. There, there I mean no there question. there is no question whatsoever that the William Branham has has paired up with Nazis. I mean, there there is just it is undisputable when you actually step back and look at the evidence. And and let me um let me before I, I go to this next piece, let me just say the government in Chile made extensive investigations into Ewald Frank and into the things that were going on among the Nazis at Colonia. And those government records, a large part of them have been declassified and are now available to the public. And that's how we know a lot of what we're talking about. Um, We have painstakingly translated a lot of these documents into English uh, in order to read what they say. And William Branham's name is splattered over a whole lot of these documents. They're talking about him. They're talking about Ewald Frank, they're talking about a Mr. Creffield, and there's, a, there's a, a book out recently called um, La Secta Perfecta uh, and it's by a man named Carlos Beso, I believe is his name, and he does a masterful job of summarizing what's in a lot of these documents and um, maybe we could show a couple of the documents on the screen here, Not, but they're not in English, so it, it's not easy to get access to this information because it's not in English um, but It's all here, all in the records of these investigations, and a lot of these are transcripts of interviews of the leading members of Colonia Dignidad. They were debriefed by police, and they gave up a lot of this information um, in, in in their interviews with government authorities. So anyway, this is Paul Schaefer. So Paul Schaefer is serving as William Branham's security detail when he comes to Germany. He is William Branham's personal security guard in Germany, him and a few other people from his his group. Now, Paul Schaefer, again, we can go from multiple eyewitness accounts of the people in his circle. He did know Ewald Frank. Him and Ewald Frank were working together at this time when uh, William Branham came to Germany, and... No doubt they were standing side by side at each other at various points just through this 1955 campaign. Him as William Branham's security guard, Ewald Frank as his translator. So, this man right here is perhaps. It, it, it's hard for me to decide who is more evil, him or Jim Jones. But this is the first or the second most evil man that was ever in the message right here. This is a mass murderer. He is, I believe I've read one point that he's guilty of perhaps 40,000 child rapes. Um, This man is evil. This man is the personification of evil. This man is a Nazi.
0: Yeah, definitely so. And again, separating the fact from the fiction and the conspiracy theories, and also just simply because of the way that we were, programmed in the message cult we were programmed in the message cult to totally ignore the scripture talking about by your by their fruits you will know them we see all of these bad fruits and in the message we were manipulated to believe well there was a bad fruit because they didn't understand the core of doctrine in other words these bad fruits are springing up so let's ignore the bad fruit and let's look at the tree instead so that it can bring forth more bad fruit but we have clear ties that this man was in William Branham's inner circle in Germany that he was well deeply connected to Ewald Frank who basically became William Branham's right-hand man in Germany and like you said one of the largest sects of the message he is a leader of this now let's dive back closer to the conspiracy theory but again separating fact from fiction there are a couple key histories that I was fully unaware of until we started digging into this Charles. The first one is Operation Condor. We know that Colonia Dignidad was tied to the United States government through Operation Condor, which interestingly was an operation that was fully established by Nixon. So we've got Nixon, who's leading the charge in the early years as vice president. He's telling people the battle is going to be fought in their minds. Nixon becomes president, and he instructs the CIA to start getting involved and overthrowing governments, toppling other countries' governments that have the potential to become communist.
1: And, And they did.
0: They, and they overthrew did. the
1: government of multiple countries. Yeah, these, this man is connected, and Colonial Dignidad is connected to the overthrow of communist and communist sympathetic governments in, in a number of countries.
0: Yeah, and like in Chile, the documents that confirm this fact in the United States are also now declassified. You can go to the you know, the CIA's website or FBI's website, I think it is, and you can just type in, do a Google search for Operation Condor. you'll find this. So this is without question binding Ewald Frank through the government declassified documents in Chile to the message, binding Paul Schaefer, who also is bound to Ewald Frank and William Branham through these declassified documents, also binding it to the CIA through Operation Condor. And they set up basically the most sophisticated, in all of Chilean history, the most sophisticated espionage operation in Chile and it was conducted all of their training all of their ops all of their torture their killing assassinations they they basically set up this little nazi germany in this message called compound and they brought in high-ranking um former nazis who like the guy who invented the mobile gas chamber is the one who helped them set up the mobile gas chambers in this compound. I mean, we're talking about some very, very bad people through Operation Condor. Now, prior to Operation Condor, also tying this, again, it's conspiracy theory, but we're going to separate the fact from the fiction. There was previously an Operation Paperclip, which I've just came across, that I can't say was fully tied to this, but it's one of the pieces of the puzzle we have to understand. Operation Paperclip, after the United States Um, after the war with Germany the United States and other countries had this operation to take out the the um, brilliant minds of the Nazis and give them safe harbor in other countries and basically use them as reparations for the war so We've got Operation Paperclip who's, that's in effect since, I think it was 1945. So we're going fast-forwarding to the 50s, and we see all of these high-ranking Germans um, you know, escaping to other countries through the message cult compounds in multiple countries. And then they're establishing this, docu- this uh, compound that's working with the CIA that we can establish that fact through the documentation of the CIA. So all of this combined paints this picture that <laughs> charles I'm, I'm gonna say it just blows my mind
1: i know it, it it's incredible john i mean the the evidence is overwhelming and conclusive paul schaefer and Ewald frank were both part of william brennan's inner circle and part of the inner workings of, of his operations in germany um these are undoubtedly connected to nazis paul schaefer himself is a nazi um and There is, again, overwhelming documentation and evidence in the court records out of Chile that Mr. Crefield, who all evidence indicates is Ewald Frank, uh, was involved in working with the German arms manufacturers to set up the factories that produced the sarin gas and the machine guns and the grenade launchers and all of the weapons that was coming out of Colonia that Ewald Frank had his hands in all of that. Um, throughout the history of Colonia, um, and that there was clearly something happening here where arms and weapons were being manufactured in Colonia and supplied to militias of certain types in other countries around the world. So there is there, just, I, I think all of that we can clearly say is well-documented and proven in the documentation that has came out um, from Chile. Okay, so we can kind of, I guess, kind of put a period on that, and maybe we can come back and visit some more of that stuff in a later episode. But William Branham was connected to all of this, um, and his people were connected to all of this. And they, people in Colonia, continue to be followers of William Branham to this day. The people in Colonia Dignidad today, there are followers of William Branham's teachings in Colonia today, it's been renamed via Baviera, and a lot of the people who were guilty of the horrendous crimes of mass murder and so forth, rapes and so forth, a large part of those people have escaped Chile and are presently in the church of Ewald Frank in Germany, in the city of Crefield, where Mr. <laughs> Crefield is from. So that that's that. Um, there, There is I think one other two other notable things I want to mention John before we, we wrap up this po- podcast. One is I have in all of these tours I've taken pains to to point out to us that the people that William Branham pronouncing healed were dying and again we have more evidence that people William Branham pronounced healed on this last overseas tour we have people dying there as well. This is a man named Walter Hollenwager. Walter Hollenwager was William Branham's translator while he was in uh, Switzerland. And Walter Holland Wager is a, I may be saying his last name wrong, but I apologize if I am. He is a prolific writer of history. Just look how thick these books are that he has written. He has wrote all kinds of books of this size. I think there's about 10 or so. He has wrote, he is the authoritative figure on the history of Pentecostalism, Walter Holland Wager. So not only was he William Brenham's translator, he is one of the premier historians of the Pentecostal movement. And in his books, this one, for example, he, you can get these if you want, I think there might even be screenshots of this on your website, John, he reprints sections of letters from people who were supposed to have been healed in Switzerland, in Zurich, Switzerland, and and other stops in Switzerland. And he also uh, reprints interview from a pastor of one of the churches that William Brennan preached at in Switzerland. And... A lot of the people, in fact, he says the overwhelming majority of the people that William Branham pronounced healed on this tour did not get better. They did not get better. So the same thing is happening on this on this tour as all of the others. William Branham is telling people they're healed, but they are not healed. They are just as bad and worse when he leaves.
0: Right. And I'll say this. We have gone down so many rabbit holes with this <laughs> that I've almost forgotten. Oh, we're talking about the German tour. <laughs> <laughs> this is about the Nazis and uh, Operation Condor. Right. So, again, this was a, from the surface, it was a religious revival series it was a healing revival series from the surface so William Branham goes into Germany he is touring with <laughs> again he's it's sponsored by a man who is a homosexual Pentecostal which I find odd um, who's basically sponsoring William Branham's revival tours and William Branham makes all of these boisterous claims as he has made in the past and the other tours of all of these people healed and these basically it's these healings if you read the government documents of the eyewitnesses in colonia dignidad they're saying that basically it's these healings that are what inspired paul schaefer to you know come into the message but if you a step back, Paul Schaefer was in the inner circle. He was the security detail. So he would have been there to witness these quote unquote healings. He would have seen their failures. So this is a man who knows that William Branham is basically, there's no better way to say it. He knows William Branham is a bogus, he's a fraud. He's a guy who's claiming healings. Right. And he his this sect in Chile based off of these healing revivals. So Again, if you take a step back from all of this, the religion is at the surface, but what's going on, the, the premise behind all of this is not religion. This is not a religious thing that's happening here.
1: Right. Let me read just one sentence here from from Walter Holland Wager's book. Um, he says, However generously William Branham is judged, it must be admitted that his sermons were not merely simple, but often naive as well. And by contrast to what he claimed, only a small percentage of those who sought healing were in fact healed. Uh, The Pentecostal pastor Leonard Steiner had a poor opinion of Branham's campaign in Zurich. It was his church that it was held at. He wrote that the call to make a decision for Christ was disturbingly vague, uh, no real call to repentance could be distinguished, and that the convincing miracles of God and the true evidence of His Spirit and power was totally absent in William Branham's campaign meetings there. So, again, the the Pentecostal pastor from Zurich, Switzerland, where his meetings were held in Zurich, is saying there were no miracles, not one. It was totally absent uh, when he was when he was there in Switzerland. So that that's quite a uh, statement i think yeah one last thing i think we did want to note um coming out of this is there's a very ewald frank sect as we mentioned is is probably the second largest sect of followers and of course there's many splinter groups out of ewald frank's groups right and one of the most notable of all one of the most notable of all splinter groups (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of Ewald Frank is this man right here, and we we've got to talk about him because this man is also a product of what William Branham did ultimately in in Germany. So this man is named Kakao Philippe, and I believe I'm saying that right. Kakao Philippe, he is from um, Africa, I believe he's from um, Ivory Coast, I believe is his home nation, and he preaches in. Ghana, Nigeria, Ivory Coast, you know, that section of, of Africa, okay, this man has been arrested and jailed multiple times. Um, he comes out of Ewald Frank's sect. This is where his belief set arrives from. And he's very famous for preaching a very certain unusual thing for a man of his uh, uh, repertoire, John. You want to share the, the sermon, uh, uh, you know, a sample of his beliefs that he teaches out of the message?
0: <laughs> yeah, and first I'll say this. <clears throat> Ern Baxter said that the fruit, quote unquote, the fruits of William Branham's ministry are not good. If you examine the fruit, you see this weird, weird mess that was created by William Branham's message cult compound. Well, amplify that. If you examine the fruits of the fruits, it gets even worse. And this is it's one worse. of those cases, right? This is, this is very odd so this is a very very unusual religion that this guy has created this guy believes that he is the next in line of william branham's manifested sons of god theology he has basically taken the manifestation of jesus or william branham or some weird combination thereof and he has the perfect understanding of william branham's sermons and For for example, one of the weirder things that he believes, this is a black man now for the audience who's listening and not seeing the black man that you held up on the screen. He takes William Branham's um, serpent seed doctrine and he believes the white supremacy version, which all of William Branham's inner circle apparently believed, of the serpent seed doctrine. And he says that William Branham fully meant and he fully believes that the black man is supposed to be subservient to the white man. This is a black message preacher who's saying this. So in Africa, among a a whole audience of black people, he's basically saying, all right, we, we are the serpent seed. We are the ones who subservient to the white man. And, and, it reminds me of that skit, Charles, where Dave Chappelle has <laughs> got the skit where it's a blind man who's a blind racist that doesn't know he's black. And, I mean, this is exactly what's going on with this guy. He, he apparently doesn't understand that he's a black man and that this whole message, religion, theology of the serpent seed was targeting his race.
1: Yeah, it. It, it's really startling when you when you read and listen to what Kakao Philip preaches. Like I said, he's been arrested multiple times in Africa and jailed for hate speech, for preaching that... I mean, he, he preaches point blank black people should be subservient to Europeans, and that's the only way they can survive and be blessed of God. Right? And he, he arrives at that through serpent seed Christian identity theology. So here we have... African people in Africa, and and John, from what I understand, he has tens of thousands of followers.
0: Yeah, it's a who, big following. Be,
1: yes, this is one. This is a large subsect of the message who believe that they they have they have implemented in Africa among the Africans the Christian identity views of the message. It is, it's unbelievable, John. It is absolutely unbelievable, but it, it's true.
0: And we can, again, examining the fruits, we can tie William Branham's white supremacy doctrine to Ewald Frank through Cacao Phillips, because Cacao Phillips was a disciple of Ewald Frank.
1: Right. So we we definitely know where he got this stuff from. He came through the Ewald Frank channel to arrive at this information. And— We'll we'll soon be getting into uh, some full episodes here where we deep dive on Serpent Seed and Christian identity theology and explain how those views uh, developed and, and spread throughout the message.
0: Right. So, Charles, I said at the beginning this was going to be one of the more interesting episodes, and I think we pretty well delivered. This has been, for me probably the most fun I've had on on a show, and I know I've been saying that recently a few times, but this one beats them all. Um, I think to summarize, there's way more than we can possibly explain that's going on among all of these various things that we've talked about. There is, there's so much going on here, and I'm going to ask you the question publicly, and I'm going to let our listeners weigh in. I've been toying around with this idea. Of what if we had a spin off series that's basically doing a deep dive into Colonia Dignidad? And not to put you on the spot here on the air, but what do you think about this? Do you think this is a good idea? Let the listeners also chime in. What do you think? Yeah,
1: I, I think it's a, certainly an interesting concept. I need to give it a little thought because. Uh... You know, obviously some of the Nazis are still alive, (laughs) right? (laughs) and I don't want any of them knocking on my door.
0: (laughs) Right. We'd have to be careful how we did it, but I think historically there's enough that's already been made public. If we just examine from a historical standpoint, now we can't talk about the present things that are still going on because we might find missing children or family members, but I think we can talk about what's already been made public because that's now public knowledge.
1: I I think we we definitely should get there at some point and talk about (laughs) Colonia for sure. Um, I I think our last few episodes, we have been focusing on the early 1950s aspect of William Branham's ministry. Uh, I think we got a whole lot more we need to uncover just from the early 50s first. Right. Uh, I think think we've got to talk through – Serpent Seed, British Israelism, Christian Identity Theology, we've definitely got to go back and talk through the breakup of Voice of Healing and William Branham's being ostracized from um, from the Voice of Healing evangelists and, and getting fully in bed with the latter rain side of things. Uh, so we've got to talk that through. And of course, when we talk about that, we've got to get into Jim Jones, uh, talk about how William Branham brought Jim Jones into his circle uh, and, and how interesting things of that happened and how jim jones was involved in <laughs> william Branham's second breakup with <laughs> with uh, even his breakup with the latter rain side of things as things yeah. go on so uh, we've got to get that and then we've got to also get back as we get into the late 50s there's a lot of exciting stuff in there as well I I think we've probably got another 10 episodes just on the early 50s.
0: Yeah, I, I think more than that, we've got a whole decade of just Branham research, but I'm just toying around with the idea. There's so much out there that we could talk about, and um, it's I, we'll let the listeners chime in and see if they think after this decade of <laughs> William Branham stuff if we should go deeper with this because, again, this just fascinates me to no end.
1: One one last thing, maybe before we close, I'll just say this to our viewers. If you carefully watch the Colonia Dignidad documentaries, it may not be obvious to most people, but I know when I watch them, I see message clues all over the place. Some of them, um, there are the churches that they're talking about. Look those churches up. They're message churches. They're yeah. message churches in these Colonia Dignidad. You know, it's not obvious. They obviously don't call them message churches in their documentaries, but these are message churches. These are brand of message churches in the Colonia Dignidad documentaries. Um, and there's so many things about Colonia Dignidad that I have watched that just floors me, John. When I watch the Colonia movie— there are quotes from William Branham in the Colonia movie, John, and I'm and me and my wife. I remember watching this, looking at each other. I'm like, "Oh my goodness, did they know that they put Branham quotes into the <laughs> Colonia, into the Colonia movie? You know, with Emma Watson and all that." Um, and and there's things they say all through it. It is just so they are quoting William Branham, and a lot of times people don't realize there these are Branham quotes that that they have. They think, "Oh no, this is a Paul Schaefer quote." Yeah, it's a Paul Schaeffer quote of William Branham, you know, (laughs) quoting William Branham. This is throughout the Colonia documentaries. There's one documentary I watched, John, on Colonia called Songs of Oppression. Songs of Oppression. (laughs) Where they document, it's all of the songs that people sang in Colonia Dignidad. And, John, so the opening opening song is Till We Meet... And I'm like, oh my goodness. So what what in Colonia they would call songs of oppression, uh, here in America we would call the songs of the prophet. Yeah. (laughs) It was the songs William Branham sang.
0: So here's a conspiracy theory for you, Charles. (laughs) The early part of William Branham's ministry was sponsored by the Kardashian family. (laughs) The latter part of his ministry took this deep turn for the worst and then in the documentaries and the television shows and all of the all of the information that's coming out William Branham is mysteriously scrubbed from all of it yet we know from the government documents that he was deeply connected so here's the conspiracy theory why is it scrubbed
1: (laughs) yeah that's a good question you know why why are all of the documentaries it's all there it's all it's in the documentaries but no one ever comes out and say it. I there's there's got to be either the journalists haven't completely connected the dots like we have or there's something there they're afraid of. I don't know. Yeah.
0: I'm not going to speculate because that's conspiracy theory and I can't prove it, but I can tell you what it looks like. <laughs> So, anyway, this has been this has been fun, Charles, and I know that the next episode is is maybe not as fun as this, but it's fun in different ways. So, if you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-brannum.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read preacher behind the white hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming.